Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, host of Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you are listening to this podcast, you know how much I love exploring happiness, well-being, and positive lifestyles, and I love talking with you about it. We always want to deliver great content to our listeners, and the best way to do that is to learn more about you. Please help us help you by filling out a quick and anonymous survey. Please visit mylistenerstudy.com. Once again, that's www.mylistenerstudy.com, and tell us about yourself. We'll learn more about you, and you can have a chance to win a Chromecast. That's what I call a win-win situation. Visit mylistenerstudy.com and enter Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio to share your heart with us. Thanks. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today, we're talking about making better doctors. All of us. At some point in time in our life, hopefully more regularly if we're going for wellness checkups, um, we'll see a doctor. And oftentimes we complain about not the technical treatment that we're getting, but the interaction, the communication, the emotional treatment and relationship that we have with our uh, medical providers. And my first guest is Dr. Ryan Gray. He received his undergrad degree from the University of Florida before going on to New York Medical College to earn his MD. In 2012, after realizing a need for a better source of pre-med information, he started the medical school headquarters. Through the medical school headquarters, the pre-med years podcast and working one-on-one with pre-med students, Dr. Gray has directly impacted the journeys for hundreds of thousands of students to give them a better chance at getting into medical school. Welcome, Dr. Ryan Gray. Thank you for that intro, Lisa. Oh, well, this is this is a treat for me because I came to know your work through a client of mine who is also a listener to this show, 
who thought we would be a good match, who has been using your sources and your support for her own journey. So you're making an impact. I I hope so. I think I am. Well, I know you are. (laughs) (laughs) How did medical school headquarters come to be? I started talking to younger uh, people, younger students that were interested in in my journey to medicine, how what it took to get into medical school. And I realized that I really liked talking about it. And the biggest source of information out there for pre-meds is a site that I, w- I won't name by name because I don't like the site. And it's it's a very cutthroat site. There's a lot of negativity on the site. And students go to the site and leave very discouraged and often give up on their dream of becoming a physician. And I wanted to create a site and now a podcast that would take one of those people that left that site and show them that they could become a physician if it's really what they wanted to do and and show them how to do it. And if I could do that with one person, then I've succeeded. Well, in my experience with the one client who shall remain nameless, um, what she reported is that she felt very overwhelmed. She felt the process was daunting, that she could never get there. And through what you offer, through the support, the resources and information, that she was able to break it down. You know, she could eat the elephant one bite at a time. We, we can all eat it one bite at a time. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's such a daunting process. It's an expensive process medical school, the thought of being a physician is very overwhelming. And there's a lot of doubt in students' minds. Why Why am I even going through this? I don't even know if I can survive medical school. I don't even know if I'm good enough to be a physician. And so when I tell stories and have have guests on that tell their stories of the same struggles, and now they're flourishing as a medical student or flourishing as a physician, it just, it, it, it ensures these students that they're they're on the right path, hopefully for the right reasons. And we talk a lot about that too. And you know, talking about the right reasons, as I mentioned in my introduction, what I hear people complain most often about is not the the technology that they're receiving. You know, the the, the diagnostics and the sort of um, more calculated parts of medicine. It's the interaction with the doctor and feeling as though they are able to spend adequate time with him or her, have their questions addressed. Sort of the soft the soft side of medicine, the art and the creative side, that that's what's lacking with so many of our doctors today. The, the patient will always remember how the physician made them feel. They'll forget about whether the diagnosis was right or wrong. They'll forget about the exact treatment that was provided, but they'll always remember how the physician made them feel. And so there, there is a changing of the guard with medical schools accepting students that have more of the communication skills. Hopefully not just the, the perfect book nerd student, but somebody that can actually communicate well and has some empathy, and, and it's not something that we have to teach later in life. So it's, it's very important, and, and there's studies that show that the, the better rapport that you have with the patient, the, the better the outcomes are. And when you are coaching and working with 
um, students that want to go to medical school and they tell you, you know, I, I, I'm, I score, score high marks in this area, you know, my math, my sciences are strong and maybe I'm weaker in these areas. How do you help guide them to the right place? A lot of it is, is mindset. Some of it is tips and tricks and tools, but a lot of it is, is really just mindset and, and letting them know that we need to figure out why they maybe got a C in a class or a D in a class, figure out what happened so that they can course correct and do better the next time. Because as as we all know, Einstein's definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So <laughs> we we dig in a lot about that, trying to get to the root of, of what happened and and really just moving forward from there. What are some of the biggest challenges that pre-med students face? I talked a little bit about it earlier, a lot of self-doubt. The The classes obviously are hard. Uh, there's a lot of discussion around whether or not the pre-med prerequisites are should be canceled or changed or removed. There's some medical schools that are trying some different things to get some more humanity students in medical school. But I, I like the pre-med path. I believe it's it's hard for a reason. We want physicians that are smart enough to get through it, that are dedicated enough to get through it. But I, I really think it's it's putting it all together. Medical school is has this huge veil of, of secrecy around what you really need to do. And there are a lot of myths, and, and a lot of it's perpetrated by this site that shall remain nameless, that, that you have to be the perfect student. You have to have thousands of hours of volunteering and thousands of hours of research and and just be perfect all around. And and so it sets students up for failure because as soon as they get a B, they, they just go into a tailspin. And with my podcast, with my site, I, I, I try to show them that you don't have to be perfect. And in fact, medical schools don't want you to be perfect. They want to see that you've struggled, that you've that you've gotten back up on your feet and and what you've done to correct that. Historically, it's been so difficult for pre-med students to get the information that they need to be successful. And this is, you know, part of your endeavor, part of your mission is is to support that. But why has it been so difficult? Because it's considered a, a, a club for the elite, the intellectually elite, or no one has is, is, uh, amalgamated the information in one place? I, I think it's the latter. I think that medical schools are busy with their admissions process and, and making sure that they're selecting the right people to get in. So they don't have the resources to go out and share all of their knowledge. And the pre-meds are, are just, what, what typically happens is a pre-med student says, this is how I got into medical school, so this is what you should do. And so that just continues to go down the line. And that's just, it's not true. And so what I'm trying to do is reach out to all the medical schools and talk to lots of different pre-med students and medical students and, and it, as you said, kind of amalgamate it and aggregate it all together. What percentage of pre-med students leave the program prior to completion? I would think it would be a lot. You know, I don't know that stat. I know there, the the numbers that I've heard in the past, every year about 100,000 students start out as pre-med students and roughly 60,000, 50,000 uh, end up. So 50% maybe. Mm. 
It's a lot, you know. It is a lot. Yeah. It but really is a it, lot. There, there aren't enough seats for all of the students that are applying now. So I think it's just a natural attrition that, that it's going to happen. A lot of people like the idea of being a physician before they start school. And you know what? Our, our education system is, is flawed, making 18-year-olds pick what they want to do for the rest of their life. So it's, it's not surprising that there's a lot of attrition. What about seeking... Uh, education outside of the United States. I mean, this just popped into my mind. I mean, I it, when I was younger, which was a long time ago, it was very popular if you couldn't get into to medical school in the United States that you would go offshore to one of the islands. Yep. Yeah. It's it's not recommended. It's a very 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 last resort because residency spots is the bottleneck right now, and there are more and more medical schools opening up in the U.S. and there aren't enough spots for for U.S. students, really. Um, it, the numbers are a, a little weird, but Caribbean schools, it's very hard to come back and get a residency in the U.S. because you're considered a foreign medical grad or an international medical grad, and it just makes it a little bit harder. Unless you want to practice outside of the country, which is, which is a whole other show. Correct, yes. <laughs> We are going to go to a break in a, in a couple of minutes. And before we do, I would love for you to share with our listeners about your podcast because you've got an exciting show. So the Pre-Med Years is a weekly podcast. It's now a two-time nominated Academy of Podcasters Top Science and Medicine podcast, which is awesome. I'm, I'm waiting to see if I win this year. I didn't win last year, but it's it comes out every week on Android or iOS, and like I said earlier, we we talk about what it takes to get into medical school, some tips and tricks for the MCAT. My wife is a physician as well, so we'll come on and talk about what life is like a, as a doctor, all with the goal of making it a little bit easier for everybody and really letting them see what it's like to be a doctor so that when they get on the other side, hopefully they're not shell-shocked, and hopefully we can reduce some burnout rates with physicians as well. Beautiful. We are going to dance off to a brief break. And once again, the podcast is The Pre-Med Years. And to learn more about Dr. Ryan Gray's work, please visit medicalschoolhq.net. On Facebook, that page is Medical School HQ. And on Twitter, the handle is at Medical School HQ. And when we come back, Ryan, I want to talk a little bit more about the finances of medical school and the overwhelming debt that a lot of these students are coming out, or not students, young doctors are coming out of school with. We're going to first go off to the break. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction, an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. 
Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own-nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Sharing is caring. It's kind. It's free. It's legal. It's available 24-7. And we're talking about making better doctors with Dr. Ryan Gray. He is a podcaster in his own right. The show is The Pre-Med Years. He also is one of the founders of Medical School HQ which is designed to support people who are interested in entering the medical field, find their way to success. Ryan, prior to the break, we were talking about some of the obstacles and challenges that um, physicians in training are facing. What about the debt or the daunting amount of financial responsibility that must also be accounted for in the education process? (laughs) Wouldn't life be fun if everything was free? So medical school is extremely, extremely expensive. I think that the average, the, the, the newest numbers, the average debt that students are leaving with is around $170,000 after four years of education. And the timetable to repay that is 10 to 30 years. So it's, it's very, very daunting. But I, I think one of the bigger, the, the bigger issues is that we, we as physicians graduate going, okay, I'm a doctor. I think I should drive a Mercedes now. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we don't realize that paying back medical school debt first is the most important thing. So there's, there are a lot of uh, mental blocks with, with loans and things, but it is a lot of money, unfortunately. And I, I think we are, we are doing uh, injustice to lower socio economic income students because they see that number and they go, nope, not, not for me because they, they don't come from money and they don't think they can do it. So it's, it's a, it's a struggle. And yet there are a lot of financial resources available. You know, there, there are clever ways of finding one's way through school and the resources to pay for it, you know, maybe going to um, undergraduate school at a smaller university in the middle of the country. You know, one uh, one organization that comes to mind, I have a a daughter who's a freshman in college, is the colleges that change change lives because they really help um, students identify their passions. They are offering a lot of financial support to kids who are really willing to come to smaller towns and smaller campuses, which may be a more nurturing environment and provide more economically rich support. Definitely. Smaller undergrads. Yeah, they funnel into these great medical schools. Yep. 
Yep. Smaller undergrads, public schools. There are many ways of reducing your undergrad debt so that you're not entering medical school with a lot of debt as well. And you mentioned something to me on the break, which um, is probably uh, under under the radar, and that is uh, using military benefits to pay for medical school. Yes. So there, there are kind of two routes where the government can foot your bill for medical school. One, you actually get paid to be a medical student, and that's going to the military medical school, the university sciences, university of, university, uh, I didn't even remember, uh, uniform <laughs> services, university of health sciences, USIS is their uh, acronym. And so that is a military medical school. It's run by the military. Uh, you apply to it like a normal medical school, but they actually pay you as an active duty military member to go to medical school, which is great. The other option is what I did. I went through what's known as the Health Profession Scholarship Program, the HPSP, through the Air Force. And once you get an acceptance to medical school, you go to the Army, the Navy, or the Air Force. They all have the same scholarship. And you say, okay, I want you to pay for medical school, and I will serve afterwards. I'll put a little asterisk on that because if you're doing it just for the money, you're not going to be very happy. I... For some reason, I don't have many family members that are in the military. I just, I wanted to serve. And the Air Force was awesome. I've always loved flying in planes, so why not the Air Force? And so I, I had a really good time. Uh, I've talked to other people that didn't have a good time because they were doing it for the money and, and didn't like the back-end service. So, But being debt-free after four years of service is amazing. I'll say so, you know, the, 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 which is proving um, the case in point that if there's a will, there's a way. And for people who don't believe that they have the ability to financially um, pay for medical school, there are alternatives. And some of the, the pathways that we've just talked about are hugely valuable. And and this is where I think we can help educate people, you know, through your show and what, what you are doing to support people getting the word out that we can't give up on our dreams. You know, we really need to find ways to support rather than walk away from our passions. There are many ways. The National Health Serv Service Corps, I want to mention real quick too, they're a, a place you don't go debt free, but after ten years working with the National Health Service Corps, they'll they'll forgive the rest of your debt, which is pretty awesome. Wow, that is awesome. And and what would that entail? What would those ten years of service look like? You'd have to go onto the the National Health Service Corps site. They have a list of all of the underserved areas that have been flagged to be eligible. And working in one of those sites for 10 years, paying back loans during that time, after that 10-year period, they'll forgive the rest of your loans. Fantastic. Really, really fantastic. We spoke a little bit um, prior to the break about some of the changes that have been happening in the medical community due to um, the mentoring of medical headquarters students. But t talk a little bit more about some of the new things that are on the horizon within the medical community. In terms of what? In terms of changes to um, to support students, changes that are, that are even happening in the profession. So I, I think there's there's a lot of exposure right now with physician burnout, with physician suicide, 
I personally come from the standpoint of, of we as Americans are all burnt out. I don't know if it's a physician-specific thing, but we have such a unique perspective because we are the ones that are supposed to be taking care of others. And oftentimes we're told that we need to put others before ourselves. And we're starting to realize that that's wrong. We, we need to take care of ourselves first or else we won't be able to take care of others. And so there's there's finally a, a kind of a change coming, and we're seeing that physicians' own mental health and, and own priorities are becoming more important. Uh, obviously, our goal is to treat patients and take care of patients, so that's, that's always going to be kind of top of mind, but we, we need to do a better job of taking care of ourselves, and, and that's finally happening. It's... It's happening from a from a medical school admissions process, from an MCAT process, the the way that the MCAT is changing, testing different things, more sociology, more psychology, um, and then medical schools also kind of having that change of guard as well. I uh, I every year I guest lecture at USC in the psychology department, and last year. Um, one of the professors who was aware of the work that I'm doing asked me to come and speak in the medical school. Uh, they have at, at the Keck School has an integrative medicine program, and what I'm seeing there is this inclusion of mind, body, spirit in conventional Western medicine, in how physicians are being trained there that is fascinating. There's a gym on premises. They are training the physicians to be the example, to lead the way through their own self-care and their own health. You have to. You have to. It's been something that's been lacking forever. And as soon as we realize that, and we are realizing that, and as soon as we can start educating students to to lay off the books for a little bit and go work out, then, then it's much better. I, I worked in the fitness industry before I went to medical school and I gained 30 plus pounds during medical school and it was, I was miserable. Uh, I went from being super healthy, super fit to, to overweight and, and unhappy. So I, I'm a poster child for health and fitness for physicians. Wow, I, I I didn't know that about you. Well, that is uh, an interesting phenomenon. And how do you um, coach clients and students that come to you in the site and the in the podcast to uh, prioritize their self care? It really is a must. But how do you budget it into one's day when your day is just jammed? A lot of it comes from understanding that the. Facebook notifications and Twitter notifications and instant messages and and text messages all need to be off when you're studying. And that when you reduce your distractions, you're so much more efficient and you regain so much more time in your day. And and ultimately what it comes down to is you need to make the time for yourself. If you go and try to find the time, it's never there, but you really need to make the time and put it on your calendar and make it a priority. And that really is a health prescription, you know, I mean, how to maintain one's constitution and good health is through this self, very self-care that we are talking about. We are nearly out of time, which um, distresses me because I'd like to spend more time talking about the making of better doctors. You guys are so important to us, you know, 
uh, to learn more about Dr. Ryan Gray and his work, please visit medicalschoolhq.net. On Facebook, the page is Medical School HQ. And on Twitter, that handle is Medical School HQ. And Ryan, in closing, if there's one message that you could give to a high school junior or senior who is sitting out there um, contemplating medicine for the future, what would that be? Go listen to the pre-med years and they'll learn all <laughs> about it. Uh, but, but ultimately, I, I think take your time. It's there's plenty of time to make the decision. And if you want to change your mind later, that's okay too. You you really need to be sure that this is the right path for you and and go out and seek advice from your advisors in college. That's the obviously the first place to start. And of course, the pre-med years podcast will be a great companion. Of course, of course, of course. Well, thank you for being with us. And we are going to dance off to another break. And when we come back, we will share more about the making of better doctors. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at HarvestingHappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user-friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's HarvestingHappiness.com. Lisa Cypress-Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit at hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we're talking about making better doctors and building a better bedside manner 
within the medical community. And my next guest is doing just that. Dr. Helen Reese is the Chief Scientific Officer and founder of Empathetics, Inc. She's also an Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and Director of the Empathy and Relational Science Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. She also has done a TED Talk. Her TEDx talk is entitled The Power of Empathy, and it's been seen by over... uh, a couple hundred thousand viewers. And Dr. Reese co-founded Empathetics as a company that translates her research-based curricula into accessible, live, and web-based empathy solutions for healthcare professionals. Welcome, Dr. Reese. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Hello, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is uh, right up our alley. We have been searching for someone like you to explore what it takes to build a better better bedside manner within the medical community. And I am just delighted that you're doing this. Thank you. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what inspired your focus on, on empathy research. Well, as a psychiatrist who's been practicing for um, more than two decades now, I have the inside uh, scoop, if you will, on how patients feel um, after visiting their uh, medical or surgical uh, doctors. And um, I, I have heard many, many complaints and disappointments with feeling that they aren't seen or heard or that they don't have time to really describe what their main concerns are. They may have their, you know, what's called their chief complaint attended to, but not their chief concerns. And being um, privy to this this disappointment, I, I realized that medicine as a, as, as a trend has become much more focused on technology and on things like imaging and and lab tests. But somewhere along the line in the last, I think, 10 or 20 years, the the actual patient focus has become uh, more and more blurry. And because of the dire importance to connect with people, because I believe that that really is... Uh, paramount to their healing process and to feeling that someone is there for them, I realized that what I was hearing in my office was not uh, a one-off situation. There were major headlines in all the major newspapers over the years really claiming that, that patients want more compassionate and more empathic care. And it was really an opportunity to heed that call that led me to to do some um, deep research in the neuroscience of empathy. And what's interesting is with more and more of our medical care going to a managed model, that the level of dispassionate care is increasing. In other words, the doctors are given less time with a patient, um, and more patients are being fit into the day. And it's very, very hard to forge this connection that you're speaking of when you're on a clock. That's really true, Lisa. And part of the research that I did was actually to create 
videos um, where we simulated really optimal visits you were a, a, a doctor is really attending not only to you know what what ails the patient physically but also what they're worried about and we also filmed uh, vignettes where the doctor is dismissive and um, not really listening and not getting a, a good enough history to really meet the concerns and uh, the exciting thing about the research that that my team has done was that we we could show that showing empathic care and connecting does not necessarily take more time. Now, we all have to face the fact that, you know, the days of an hour-long visit with our doctors are pretty much over. But even in a 15-minute interview, it doesn't take that much more time to sit down and to meet the patient at eye level and to show open curiosity about what their chief concerns are. And with our video simulations, we, we showed that showing empathy does not necessarily take more time. And, and if it takes a few more seconds to, um, to have, be fully present with a patient, that time is well invested. And I also want to say that when there is a real crisis or when there's been a serious loss or a a, a very um, upsetting diagnosis, that will take more time. And that extra time that uh, physicians and nurses invest in their patients will always come back to them. So I'm not trying to say that this is, you know, a myth that it takes more time, but it doesn't always take more time. What makes us disconnect from others and fall out of touch with our own empathy? Well, part of the process of um, disconnecting, I think, is um, in part feeling overwhelmed at the changes, the rapid changes in medicine. And it's very easy to focus on all the things that that doctors and nurses cannot control today. And I do feel that we are in one of the most rapid periods of change in the history of medicine. If we focus on what we cannot control, which is having to adapt to um, entering data in electronic health records, you know, way much more computer use, um, less contact with colleagues since everything is done over, you know, um, email now. If we focus on all those things, that is how we can lose our empathy because our focus drives us to to be negative and um, somewhat despairing. I, I feel that when we remember why we are in medicine in the first place, which is to connect with, help people, help them heal and have them know that they're not alone in the face of sometimes really traumatic injuries, operations, um, sick loved ones, or even death. Um, That's what gives our jobs purpose and meaning. And if these situations are untenable where doctors and nurses are not able to deliver that kind of care, it's time to speak up to, to the leadership um, because if, if we're in untenable situations, um, the unfortunate thing is to 
choices to just leave the profession or or decide that uh, you know people are going to cut back. Um, but I, I think there's so much concern about the direction medicine is going that it is really time for people to join together and speak up about the kind of care that they really want to deliver. I agree. And when you look at the advances made in modern medicine or Western medicine, you see that we have the ability to diagnose in you know a myriad of ways uh, new medications, new procedures that not only prolong lives and save lives, but improve the quality of lives. What I see is that the softer side, you know, the software of medicine is where we could use improvement. And this is what makes um, empathetic such a valuable tool. And I think it's important to clarify the difference between or the differences between empathy, sympathy, empathy and sympathy, because they're very, very different. Yes, um, you're right. They are very different and they're often used synonymously the the big difference is that sympathy uh, is is an older term um, that's that really refers to feeling bad for people or taking pity on them, and it usually involves the pre- preposition feeling bad for, um, and it doesn't necessarily imply feeling bad with. So empathy is um, the the human capacity to feel with another person and to temporarily share the feelings or thoughts with another person as if they were happening to ourselves. So it's a bit of a temporary migration over into how something is affecting another person and then coming back and stepping back into our own shoes and using that information to um, inform how we're going to treat them. So it's a much more active process, and we are actually hardwired for this, which is why the empathetics training is based in the neurobiology and physiology of empathy. And this is interesting because when I agree to walk in someone else's shoes, to place myself as if I were in the situation of another, a couple of things happen. I mean, in addition to the empathy, um, I become more deeply connected to the other person, to you. I also open myself up to be a little bit more emotionally vulnerable. And that may be why doctors heretofore have uh, been more challenged to embrace this process when they're supposed to remain separated so they can be better doctors. Well, you have just um, put your finger on the pulse, as it were, of the I would say one of the biggest changes in the philosophy of healthcare. Whereas in the past, um, doctors were encouraged to have what was called detached concern, which meant to mostly use rational and cognitive abilities to treat patients. Uh, but today, we are really advocating for more connection, for patient centered care, and for healthcare to be a partnership between the two, which does mean that the empathy flows back and forth between the patient and the doctor. Um, 
And that actually builds exactly what you said, a, a stronger partnership because the, the vulnerability is exposed and then the care can be much deeper. Yes. We're going to need to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to continue talking about this because it is that vulnerability and connecting, meeting somebody at the heart when you are helping them with their health that I have a feeling you're going to probably concur as part of the medicine. But before we talk about that, let's jump off to a break. To learn more about Dr. Helen Reese, please visit Empathetics.com. On Facebook, that page is Empathetics. And on Twitter, My Empathetics. And I'll give a little plug to the TED Talk, too. Um, On TED.com, you can look for The Power of Empathy by Dr. Helen Reese. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I really urge you to go back and listen to this full podcast because we're talking about making better doctors and building a better medical bedside manner within the healthcare system. And my guest is Dr. Helen Reese. She is the chief scientific officer and founder of Empathetics, Inc. She's also an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and she has created a program at empathetics.com that is to train healthcare providers the providers, I'm repeating that word because it's the doctors, the nurses, and those that have contact with us, 
the patients um, to help make the experience a more connected and productive one. So Dr. Reese, before the break, we were talking about the vulnerability factor. What happens when we as humans tap into empathy, which then meets or connects with another at a heartfelt level? Well, I think we were talking about the importance of empathy. Actually, it flows both ways. And when a doctor or nurse or a frontline staff person in a hospital or clinic connects with a patient in a meaningful way, you know, to, to help them if, if they're confused, to um, be gracious if they're late for an appointment, you know, to uh, make sure they're comfortable if they're waiting in a cold room, for instance. These acts of kindness, they are like investing in the relationship. Sometimes, you know, as medical providers, we are late. There, there are always unexpected things that come up almost every day that you don't anticipate that can cause you to run over because you're trying to deliver the very best care. Through these acts of kindness, the patients, um, you know, they are human beings like everyone else. And if you've spent the time to convey that they matter, that you care about them, and if you're 10 minutes late or even a half an hour late and, and they understand it's because you're taking good care of somebody, that time will come back to you. And so um, that's what I mean about a free flow of caring. Um, I, I have seen patients be enormously generous um, when when you know they're kept waiting because they realize that somebody is in in dire need, but not so much if they've been treated curtly or abruptly or or if their concerns have been dismissed. Then there's not much forgiveness in in the equation. And what about you know going back to the connection level between the physician and the patient? That when you meet the patient. I mean, I say it's meeting at the heart, you know, and, and I'm sure there is a more academic terminology for it. But when we meet at that place, there is medicine in that. That, too, is part of the care, part of the cure. Well, that is, you're absolutely right. And um, empathy has been described as a form of healing, that it is a therapeutic act. And we all know the difference between how we feel when someone is barely listening to something we're worried about versus when we are being listened to with deep concern, openness, and a, and a, and a connection of two hearts. The, the difference is that you're, you're calm, you're, you're feeling that you trust this person and that you're both invested in, in the same good outcome. And that, on a physiological level, creates less stress, lower cortisol levels. And um, in some research done at Mass General Hospital, we have seen physiologic concordance, which means that people's physiology actually flows together. Uh, You know, we have tracings of this that it looks like... um, you know, two parallel lines moving up and down together in a, in a beautiful synchrony. Whereas when people don't feel understood, um, and they feel um, that the person is not really there for them, there is uh, a lack of concordance. And you know, we we now have uh, 
physiologic data that that shows what it looks like when two people are not connecting. And this is one of the most powerful ingredients in our empathetics training is that people, um, you know, in the healthcare profession get to see what it looks like on a, on a very scientific physiological level when they are not connecting with people. So there's feedback and there's uh, an ability to self-reflect and to recognize what kinds of uh, behaviors, steps, training, and attitudes need to change in order to be better in sync with people. Can you talk a little bit about the research that was conducted at Massachusetts General Hospital? I think this is this is very interesting. How how were the studies conducted, and, and what what were the results exactly? I mean, what what changes did you see in what parts of the body? So um, the. The training was based on physiologic studies that were done ahead of time, and um, the actual training that I developed incorporated um, this biofeedback and um, several uh, videos. I feel that seeing behaviors is way more impactful than having them described, you know, at a podium. So... um, after a year of a medical education fellowship where I got to really take a deep dive into the neuroscience of empathy, I created um, a brief empathy training that was basically three spaced hours of education that was grounded in the science of empathy. And then uh, six different specialties at Mass General Hospital um, allowed me to provide the training. And we randomized um, 100 doctors into a training and a control group. And the patients were actually blind to any training period going on. But we had them rate their physicians before the training period and then again after. And after just three spaced hours of empathy training, we found a significant improvement in how these patients rated these doctors on, on an empathy scale and several other scales. So we had, um, you know, what's considered the gold standard of research, which is a randomized control trial, which means that all the doctors were matched in age level of experience, you know, whatever other training they were, they were uh, getting in, in this area. Um, and so the only real Miss uh, d- difference. The differing ingredient was the empathy training, and that's how we can make uh, causal inferences when we get a a significant result. Aha! So, okay, so it was basically a customer service survey of patients after they saw their physician, unbeknownst to them, the physician had gone through um, the three hour training. Exactly. Ah, I thought you were actually measuring like blood pressure, um, resting heart rate, et cetera, et cetera, in the patients before and after. I'm sorry, I misunderstood, but this is interesting. This is fantastic. Well, what what you're you're partially right because part of what the training actually shows is all of these tracings. Um, that's part of the empathy education. Is that the um, the, the health professionals get to see the impact, and we did this, you know, through video and simulation. So they they learn by watching all of this 
how, uh, what the impact is on dismissive, arrogant, or, you know, rushed kind of um, behavior versus sitting, being fully present, asking open-ended questions, and making sure that all the chief concerns are addressed. And you talk about, you know, um, sitting, asking open-ended questions, being fully present. And in my practice with my own clients, sometimes they will report that they've had the best sessions or visits and I've done nothing. Except I'm, I'm, except I'm fully present. I mean, I'm really with them. And maybe that is the difference. Well, Lisa, I mean, you have said that so beautifully. Being fully present means that all the work is in being there, being there in that moment, not thinking about what you have to do after the visit or what you should have done before the visit, but being all there. And it usually means that you don't have to do a lot of talking. It's mostly about doing a lot of listening, which you're very good at. Um, And I think that, you know, one of the big trade-offs now is with the shortened length of visits that people think that coming in and just getting right down to like all the questions about the chief complaint is, is, you know, really efficient, but it's far more efficient to actually let the patient finish their narrative. Studies have shown that um, most doctors interrupt their patients within 18 seconds of the patient's narrative, which means that they get to the chief complaint, but they rarely get to the chief concern. And, wow. You know, as for, for, for patients, it's, I think most patients do understand the extreme time constraints that we're under to try to see as many people you know, as, as need us. Um, and they know that they can't ramble on you know, for 45 minutes. And I, I think that there's a mutual respect that's needed to be efficient and may become you know, well-prepared with their questions, with their concerns, so that there really is an opportunity to get to all of this in, 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 a, in a reasonable amount of time. Dr. Helen Reese, we have run out of time. I want to send our listeners to your website, www.empathetics.com, to connect on Facebook at Empathetics. And on Twitter, the handle is at MyEmpathetics. And if you are a doctor or healthcare professional or no one that you would love to impart this knowledge to, please share because we definitely want to um, build better doctors out there in the world to deliver care to all of us. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Ryan Gray and Dr. Helen Reese, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. 
Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.